0: Moncrief. With Anna Glaze On news talk. Still couldn't come out to any of them. Like it's fine, there's no deadline. I know, but it's just annoying when people think we're like best bros. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell some of the rugby guys at least. After exams, if I don't come out of school soon, we're probably gonna get found out anyway. Because you keep wanting to kiss at school.
1: Uh, I think you're also to blame for that.
0: Don't know what you mean. I have never (laughs) initiated a kiss. Oh, really? So, what about the changing room? That didn't count. Or the English room? You kiss me first.
1: Or what about the.
0: Fine. You win. (laughs) Boys, I need. That's Heartstopper. You can stream seasons one and two on Netflix now. James Dempsey joins us once again. Afternoon, James. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of teen romance type stuff?
1: Yeah, although it has a huge following with adults. Um, it comes from a woman named Alice Osman who wrote this series of uh, novels originally and these two characters, their names are Nick and Charlie, they featured as just like little side characters in one of these novels she wrote and then she kind of took that to heart and started making a, a web comic starring these two teenage boys in a school in England who fall in love with each other and from that got a, a Kickstarter campaign as many things do and it became this like million copy selling graphic novel series and uh, from that it became a very successful Netflix 10 episode 30 minute teen romance but hugely hugely popular with adults and massively popular all over the world and I'm going to start. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to start by saying it's absolutely fine, right? <laughs> okay. Um, wow, uh,
0: if that's if that comes before the bush, yeah,
1: right? <laughs> um, it is incredibly sweet and earnest. Uh, Alice Osman her, uh, herself said she wanted to create a, a romance which was very positively portraying kind of queer love, right? In which there were happy endings and things go right and things are wholesome and good. Mm. And the problem with all of that is um, Wholesome and Good isn't necessarily the most entertaining or riveting television, yes. right? So uh, in it we have basically our leads, right? So we have Charlie who is gay and we have Nick who is by and he he discovers his bisexuality throughout the first season. Um, Most of it, like, and because this is a story, you know, this is a a school-based story, it is not euphoria, right? I have called it eusnoria because (laughs) (laughs) it is that instead, right? Uh, It is this very chaste Sweet romance. I mean, all they do is a bit of kissing, right? Yeah, yeah. The hugest drama that erupts, uh, you know, in terms of physical romance in in season two is a a love bite on the side of a neck, and that's about as as raunchy as it gets, okay. right? And uh, <laughs> what you have here is an incredibly sweet story that's just not realistic. And I've, you know, I've, I I <laughs> like I have heard so many adults. Uh, and read so much of the discourse surrounding the show saying like, this is so beautiful and romantic and sweet. And I'm going, this is Biker Grove (laughs) for gays, right? Like this is, you know, if you think the epitome of gay romance on TV is if two 15-year-old boys saying hello and kissing each other, then the bar is really low, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what you do get is very well-acted show, right? Uh, the two lead actors, Kit Connor and Joe Locke, they have very good chemistry. They play their kind of, um, you know, it's almost like a modern, you know, uh, courtship of gla- stolen glances. And, you know, there are literal... Um, not literal, there are animated uh, kind of uh, bits thrown in. So like when their hands nearly brush, there's like electricity sparking between them and all this incredibly soppy, sweet stuff. Mm. As well in their group, uh, we have, you know, it's like it's literally every colour of the of the of the pride flag going here. Right. Because within their self-contained friend group, we have a romance between um, a trans girl and their straight friend. There is never any commentary on this. It's just it, it, it erupts in this great uh, will they won't they romance. They will, by the way. Mm. Um, but <laughs> But what they won't do is they won't even they won't talk about it. Right. So it sort of feels unnatural that they're not in any way talking about this. Furthermore, we have in the second season, a, a character that was invented specifically for the TV show. He discovers his sort of asexuality and what that means. And then uh, it seems that every character just falls under some, you know, some some uh, identity that is different from straight. Shall we yeah. Say. And um all of that is kind of very positive, definitely, right? Is it great for young gay people and young queer people to see these nice, wholesome things on the screen? Yeah, definitely, right? Not a doubt about that. But actually, in telling every single story, we don't really explore any of them in a particularly meaningful way, <laughs> right? Mm. So, like, with the exception of the two leads who get the majority of the screen time, who have this very sweet coming-of-age romance in which, <laughs> in which you know like in which all they do I mean when I say half of their romance is opening a front door to say hi hi hello hello right yeah. and like eventually we get a bit of kissing and you're like Grant okay these are teenage boys by the way you yeah. know who yeah. are sort of renowned uh, <laughs> in the literary canon for being hormonally fueled, um yeah. uh, sex panthers se- exactly right and like <laughs> uh in you know it, like i'm not i'm not pushing to see this on screen yeah. right, but it just also feels now twenty episodes into this show that like maybe you know maybe we could even acknowledge that maybe like they might be more a bit more interested in in in, in you know in, in exploring each other right mm. now you also get Olivia Colman, uh in this uh-huh how a very... You know, She's a bit in everything nowadays. Yeah, right. And like carries a lot of things. I mean, uh, you know, a Secret Invasion was a disaster uh, in, mm. is, narratively, but she held her own in all of her episodes and did her job. And here, um, you know, I was doing, I was reading into this. She got approached with the script and she liked it and she said, yeah, I'll happily do this if you can fit all my scenes in in about two days. So she does about two days of filming <laughs> on set and, uh, and, and, and you know she's a pro, right? So she's doing absolutely fine. Uh, in the second series, uh, we also get a, a subplot involving a school trip to Paris, uh, and two old, two uh, teachers go on the trip as well. As a seasoned veteran of the misery of what it is to bring teenagers mm. to foreign countries, <laughs> let me tell you, they did not explore anyway in depth <laughs> how <laughs> how much drama can be uh, can be wrong from such a trip. But look. I don't want, you know, For I still will watch every episode of this. Mm. I have actually even read the graphic novels. I've done my homework in this. It is really sweet and it's really cute, but it is nothing more than that. It is not some, in my opinion, it is not some gra- earth shattering romance for the ages. It's it's Biker Grove with if <laughs> I mean,
0: it's kind of. Everything needs a story. Uh, yeah. Everything needs some uh, some degree of conflict, and to just kind of sell it on the ba- on the basis of in I would have thought in the... Or maybe I'm wrong here, but in 2023 to say oh no, but it's got queer people in mm-hmm. it, that's not that
1: unusual. True and like you know, I, I I watched some very very good criticism of this show and uh, this online critic, her her YouTube channel is called Verily Bitchy, and she um <laughs> she she, she, she her, in her description of it, she said if this if this you know if the two leads in the show were a heterosexual couple, it would be the single most boring show on television. Mm-hmm. The only kind of not the only, but like a lot of the drama is just predicated on the fact that it is queer love yeah. right and that is in and of itself radical but it is completely and utterly paired back to just stolen glances and a few kisses here and there and that's actually not radical <laughs> you know that's, yeah. that's just that's, that's nothing yeah
0: okay our next show is Fisk you can stream all of season one now on Netflix here's a clip the will states that the remains have really been divided between the family of Ellen Munster and Kelly
1: Joy Fraser Obviously, I should get the whole vase of ashes, but if Ali says half, I'll accept half. Please, thank you. Oh, hang on. The will does not specify half. It simply says cremains to be divided. That's what we're here to determine. But I'm the widow. Widow? Were you married? That feels like new information. No, weren't married. Me and Ali Bear were married in our hearts. Don't need a piece of paper to be married. I think that's exactly what you need to I just need to clarify exactly how long you were in a relationship with Mr Munster. Five minutes. Um, he was living his best life, Gina. There's a saying, you know, why go out for steak when you're getting the milk for free. What?
0: What? No, I believe the expression is why go for a hamburger when you're getting steak at home.
1: Right. Sorry, but I still don't quite understand what you're saying. I'm saying I'm the steak? Yeah, no, I think in that scenario you're the hamburger. I'm not the hamburger. I'm fillet steak. You're really not. You're more like a kebab. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. Even the cl- yeah. Yeah.
1: well, I hope that's not the best part in the no. entire series. <laughs> no. So this is a, a very, very charming Australian sitcom. It comes from um, the the lead actress uh, Kitty Flanagan, who is a veteran Australian stand up comedian. Uh, she's done her, you know, her decade in London, I think, and has gone back now to Australia. And this was made in 2021 for the ABC and uh, was a COVID project, right? It was like, what can we make on the cheap? Under strict mm. quarantine conditions, we'll make this tiny little sitcom that is about a lawyer. She is Helen Tudor Fisk, who has left Sydney behind. Uh, her marriage has fallen apart. her Her sort of corporate law gig has fallen apart. She's now back at home in Melbourne and looking for something, and ends up temping in this probate. Legal firm, so all of the legal cases involve wills and the outcome of wills. And I will say, going in, I was worried that it was going to become this kind of like scrubs, like very uh, tender, sweet, you mm, know, yeah. dealing with death. And it really isn't at all. Right? It's 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 not ruthless, but it's just funny and silly. And she goes into this law firm and essentially there are only really four main characters in the law firm. There's her, the two partners, uh, one who cannot practice anymore, Gruber and Gruber is the name of the firm, and the kind of receptionist who's also the webmaster and... Then different, you know, cases come in, cases of the week, et cetera. And then also Helen is dealing with her own personal life, along with her father, who's a retired like high court judge and uh, an aunt. And the hilarity that ensues from that. And in addition to that, there's also her dog. Uh, and it's really played by her actual dog, uh, who is this like scene-stealingly cute mutt that they throw <laughs> in as well. And it is a really lo-fi, straightforward uh, sitcom, The clip is a very, very good indication of the kind of humor here, right? It is occasionally laugh outside, laugh out loud, funny, but it is often just these quick little, you know, asides and Australianisms. And Mm. I really. Was charmed by it. Now, two seasons have been already produced and broadcast. We are like we're two years behind, essentially. Netflix has purchased it and is now broadcasting it internationally. So uh, it is, I guess, beginning to gain wings. But it was very, very successful at a like at a a, a, a TV like not Montrose or whatever, one of those kind of TV events. Uh, yes, like award ceremonies where it beat off hacks actually to the top prize Okay, and it has been like I think slowly gaining in word of mouth and it is like time to get on on the ground floor for us but a second season will come inevitably at some point because it's already been broadcast uh, Kitty Flanagan won the the I think it's the Logie which is like the BAFTA of Australia it sounds like it would be anyway <laughs> <right? Yes>. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> really, and, I want a Logie yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and she is um, like it is it's a it's a hit over there a third season is yet to be sort of greenlit. I think the second ends in such a way as to tie up the story if they want it. Or there's, I mean, there's always going to be people dying. So there's always more wills to contest and mm. stories to explore in that regard. But it's just an incredibly charming, funny, six episode, 30 minute comedy. My all time favourite.
0: Yeah. And is it, is the the general story arc is just her getting her life back together. Pretty kind much, of thing, yeah. Really. yeah. And, and is it, the town is where she's originally from or is it a new place she doesn't no, know No, it's, it's
1: Mel... Like, it, <laughs> I'm a bit unclear. I think it's, like, I think it's the Yarra, which, uh, which is, like, north or south or east or west of Melbourne. I think it's okay. a suburb of Melbourne. Right. And basically, I mean, most of the conflict is this ongoing... <laughs> ongoing battle she has with the local cafe where she just wants to drink coffee but they've banned her. But it's really, really funny. Like it's just an incredibly charming easy sitcom well worth seeking out.
0: Okay, good stuff. Right, our third show today is Take a Chance streaming now on Amazon Prime Video. Here's a clip. And after that, it's Sweden.
1: And we move now across into Sweden, the largest of the Scandinavian countries. And although we're looking at streets, it's a country full of mountains, lakes and forests. And of course,
0: it's full of blonde Vikings. And uh, this is one of the reasons why it's good for pictures. These are the
1: ABBA group. If all the judges were men, which they're not, I'm sure this group would get a lot of votes. You'll see why in a minute. The song is called Waterloo.
0: I remember that Agnita and Frida walked down some stairs. I started singing, Waterloo, Waterloo. I've seen this a hundred thousand times. (laughs) That evening, my life was changed. A new world opened up. I was caught by Agneta's eyes. I was... Beautiful blue eyes. Right, uh, that little piece of Eurovision commentary was mm. interesting as well. You'd be
1: fired on the spot yeah. for coming up with, it, with that now. <laughs> but the other voice—I assume that's Gert Van de Graaf, is it? That is. Hert, I think, because he's Dutch, uh, van der Graaf, uh, although uh, admittedly you can watch it as a dubbed version. So that was some actor dubbing him in English as well. And like, yes, this clip is a kind of a very uh good example of how odd a show this is, because I mean, that was this very twee-sounding, lovely thing, mm, you know, yeah. we're watching... Gert watch the 50-year-old video of Waterloo at the Eurovision in Brighton. And um the sort of the buried lead here is that he's a convicted stalker who was then um you know sent out of Sweden back to the Netherlands after he was stalking Agnetha for years. And this is a 90-minute documentary about him as a stalker, and it's a very odd show to watch because you know they 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 portray him in this sort of sympathetic pathetic light right like when you see him it's like it's like if you, you know if 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 central casting sent out for this is what we want a stalker to look like oh, and God. they brought him back you'd be like this is a bit on the nose lads you know right yeah. like maybe give it a you know maybe maybe make him slightly sad less sad right but it, <laughs> that's not the case it, it it follows him for 90 minutes interviewing him about his absolute fascination obsession with Agneta she wanted absolutely no involvement with this at all World, understandably yeah. <laughs> yeah but as they begin to unravel the 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 tale between them it is a kind of odd and strange show but because she's not included it's a very one-sided point right mm. so we get interviews with Gert and then we get interviews with various talking heads but the talking heads are Providing the most meaningless lip service nonsense you've ever heard, uh, you know, like pop psychology, psych, uh, stalker one hundred and one, yeah. right? And it's just not really adding anything to our understanding of the tale. But as we go further into it, we learn that you know he he became obsessed with Abba. He eventually moves to Sweden in the nineties, and he then did actually have a relationship with her, right? So they so they they did have. Some kind As in of they dated or, or is it... they, it's very unclear, right? Yeah. Because he's telling us his version of the story, and really the only singular piece of evidence he has is this photograph of the pair of them sitting beside each other on a couch. Okay, and the rest is him telling us all of this stuff happened. But I think there is some acknowledgement, even from her side, or at least that's what, how it is portrayed in the documentary. That yes, they did have some kind of relationship. And that's the more interesting part of the story here, mm. because why did, you know, uh, one quarter of ABBA in the 90s suddenly fall for this odd... looking Odd, yeah. forklift-driving superfan who who deliberately moved to be close to her despite her not knowing who she is. Yeah, And that's what I want to unpack, mm. but that's not what we're going to get <laughs> in this documentary. Instead, we get, you know, Gert walking around a bit schlubby, a bit unkempt, looking sad and miserable and sticking up ABBA posters on the wall and waxing lyrical about her beautiful blue eyes. And we know that he is, he's like a convicted stalker. And well, this was is it, really yeah, weird.
0: What was he convicted for, precisely?
1: So, so, I mean, eventually when they, when they separate, <laughs> he stalked her and he, he, Despite being, you know, uh, despite, you know, having restraining orders and all these things against him, he ultimately broke onto the grounds of her home on on Christmas Eve one year. And the police came and arrested him then. And then it blew up in Swedish media. It was all, you know, it was all part. It was this huge celebrity story of Mm. its day. And uh, he then was sent back to the Netherlands but my understanding is he has since gone back to Sweden and uh, as for you know and and totally understandably why would she want to be involved in this documentary not. No, it is no. such an unusually uh, kind of bizarrely tawdry piece of uh, modern documentary filmmaking that you just don't see the like of anymore but parts of it are in, like it's almost weirdly compelling in its own right because it's just such an unusual story
0: yeah. I kind of hate it, but I want to see it now. Yeah, I, well, you know. yeah, I know. That's yeah. why
1: I, That's why I thought I could talk about it.
0: Yeah, uh, one texter says, absolutely love Fisk. Somebody else says, uh, no, this is in relation to Heartstopper. Haven't seen Biker Grove with gays, but is there an argument that if something doesn't feel radical doesn't mean it's not useful? I think queer relationships are portrayed as totally sex-focused where straight relationships get this full spectrum of the sweet side, uh, to the, uh, all the way to the sex side. Maybe the showmakers were trying to show that queer relationships also have the sweet, non necessarily sexual aspects that straight relationships have. It's a pity they didn't succeed in making it exciting, but it sounds hard to do. To portray the aspect of queer love, they should have added ancillary zombies or
1: something, <laughs> maybe. Yes, there's another text. I suppose it's a fair point. Look, Look, you know. Absolutely. And certainly, representation. For queer love means you, that we can have boring shows as well, right? Because we, yeah. because we have like as in as in what a luxury, right? Like there are boring straight stories, so guess what? There are boring queer stories as well. That's what we all voted for, James. <laughs> uh,
0: those three shows we were talking about today are a heartstopper. You can stream seasons one and two on Netflix. Fisk, you can stream all of season one on Netflix. Netflix or uh, take a chance streaming now on Amazon Prime Video. James MC, thanks a million. Moncrief. Weekdays at 2 p.m. with Anna Glaze on News Talk.